0: And welcome to episode 53 of The Jared White Show, recorded March 24th, 2020. I'm your host, Jared White, and this is normally a weekly podcast where we gather to celebrate the best of internet culture, advocate for an open web revolution geek fandom, and discover what it means to be a creator of integrity in 2020 and beyond. Whew. But that's not what today's show is about. Ha ha ha! everything's gone crackers. Everything is nuts. Everything is bananas right now. So much has happened since the last episode, which was a few weeks ago. Uh, If you did not catch the previous episode, uh, I encourage you to check that out, episode 52. Uh, I recorded a wonderful interview with Nathan Contini, and that was right before... The whole world went sideways, so uh, I was sort of expecting prior to that interview that uh, it would be the start of an uh, of an interview series, and I was planning to reach out to more friends and acquaintances and try to get some more interviews lined up uh, but but everything went nuts, and uh, I can't entirely blame my uh, my failings here on this current crisis, because I've also had some really, really bizarre things going on in my personal life, which I will get to in some fashion at some point. But right now, I'm being advised by my legal team to keep it under wraps. That is not a joke. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot right now. But uh, I, I decided to to wade out from my self isolated quarantine life to uh, talk to you guys and talk a little bit about uh, my thoughts on what is happening right now in our society as well as just some fun news from Apple all about the iPad so you know I've been thinking for for weeks now honestly thinking about recording another episode of the Jared White Show what I would talk about and you know there There's a lot I could talk about, but I really don't like spitballing. I don't like just musing on things I don't fully understand. So I could talk about, you know, health issues related to COVID-19, but I don't have any medical training. I'm not a doctor in any way, shape or form. So anything I speculate on or think about is just frankly a waste of your time. You don't need to listen to me pontificate. I could talk about economic impacts, how this will affect the global economy or local economies going forward, but uh, honestly, you know, the the best economic experts out there only have a vague sense of what might happen, and there's so many different ways this could play out over the next few weeks and months, so again, I don't want to just sit here and pontificate on things I don't really understand at all. Uh, All I can say is I feel very sad I feel very sad when I see so many local businesses here in Portland shutting down, some possibly for good, others just trying to ride things out. A um, couple shocking pieces of news, uh, Powell's Books, uh, if you've ever been to Portland, you may have been to or at least heard of uh, the City of Books at Powell's Bookstore is literally a city block of a multi-story building uh, filled with used and new books. It's an incredible destination. It's one of the most amazing independent bookstores, I would say, anywhere in America um, and certainly up there in the world, but no longer because obviously everything is getting shut down everywhere, including in Portland, and Powell's Books announced that they basically were laying everybody off. So, So there is no more Powell's Books as we know it in its retail form they do still have a website where you can order books online and that's really the only way to support Powell's right now i think the hope is that eventually when everything gets back up and running that Powell's will you know be able to reopen and rehire people and and start the retail process over again But uh, who knows? Who knows what will happen? And uh, a similar announcement from McMenamin's. Uh, McMenamin's is an incredible semi-local chain of brew pubs, restaurants, hotels, uh, just incredible destinations in the Pacific Northwest. They're in Washington State as well as Oregon. Uh, And at least here in this area, in the Portland area, you can barely drive around in Portland and surrounding towns. uh, You can barely drive anywhere without bumping into a McMenamin's. Uh, And they're fantastic. I've been to a bunch of different locations and they're so cool. They're so amazing. A lot of the locations used to be uh, schools or other historic businesses or other historic buildings that McMenamin's. basically, uh, remodeled and sort of restored to not necessarily their former glory, but something sort of like a hyper real experience. <laughs> it's almost like if, if Disneyland ran a brew pub, in a way, it's just, uh, you know, everything is very quirky and whimsical and sort of faux historical. And, uh, anyway, uh, I just have been such a fan of McMenamin's and, uh, similar to Powell's, they announced that they basically were having to lay everyone off because all the McMenamin's are closed. And so that's that. And, you know, I don't know what will happen eventually, uh, when all the when all the lockdowns, when all the orders are lifted, uh, I guess McMenamin locations will open back up, and they'll rehire staff. Um, But it might be that with way fewer locations. Maybe they'll they'll have to look at their balance books and say, you know, all of these locations, 20%, 30%, who knows, 60% of our locations were underperforming uh, before the lockdowns, so let's just close those and only focus on our best-performing locations and restaff those and see how that goes. I don't know. I don't know what will happen. Um, and, again, that's why I didn't want to talk too much about all this stuff because – there's just so much that's unknown right now. Um, but all I can really talk about with confidence is how I feel, how I'm doing, and thankfully thankfully, I'm well, and uh, I have a, a really good home office setup here, which I've been working out of for quite a while, so in that sense, nothing much has changed. So I'm thankful for that, and I hope everyone listening to this is also doing well, and um, and surviving <laughs> the, the quarantine life. Um, all right, so, so the two topics for today's show, the two main topics are two things that I can speak to that I have a fair bit of familiarity with, so a little bit more in my wheelhouse. And the first is what effect this COVID-19 worldwide crisis, what effect will it have on remote work and using the web for for work for productivity and you know so much is being written about this right now so much is being talked about so I, I just wanted to share my perspective as someone who has been working in the tech sector for a long time and who's been a remote worker for most of that time uh, all the way back to the 90s I have worked uh, a lot of the time as a freelancer or even if I worked for another company, Uh, That company itself provided consulting services, so the kind of ways I was interacting with clients through that firm was still sort of as a freelancer. Uh, So I have a lot of experience of working as part of remote teams. Some thoughts here. I would say remote work has been pretty well accepted by so many businesses of a small to medium size. Uh, around the world, or at least in America. I'll, I'll limit this to America because that's where I have the most experience. Uh, I, I've, I myself have worked with with plenty of small businesses, nonprofits, what have you, where uh, remote work is fine. You know, maybe they have offices that accommodate all the people at work for their firm. Uh, maybe they have, you know, a, a small enough office that it only fits a few people at a time, and some of their workforce is always remote. Uh, there's so many different configurations, but I think for quite a while now, uh, a lot of smaller firms have been pretty pretty enthused about remote work, have been uh, doing a fairly decent job of incorporating remote work into their uh, normal routines and business processes. However, the the place where this has really fallen flat, and it kind of mystifies me to a great extent... Uh, is with larger businesses, larger corporations, and most notably in the tech sector itself. You see companies like Facebook or Google or Apple or Amazon or a whole bunch of other businesses that are really large, really substantial, that are in the tech sector that have not been friendly to remote work. And again, this, this has always mystified me because if any part of the economy, if, if any one industry should be all over remote work more than anybody else, it should be the tech sector. Because we're the people that enable remote work. We're the people that make remote work possible. We're the people that develop the tools. We're the people that develop you know, the, the substrates of the internet that make remote work possible. And so it's just crazy to me. You know. You hear these stories like a few years ago when Marissa Mayer took over uh, running things at Yahoo and actually cracked down on existing remote work policies that Yahoo had and basically said, hey, we want to foster collaboration and, and greater synergy between different teams and blah, 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 and increase innovation across our firm. And so we're going to drop all these remote work policies and force everyone to come into fancy Silicon Valley offices every day. Ugh, it was so frustrating. It was so ridiculous. And, you know, <laughs> look at what happened to Yahoo. <laughs> I don't think that worked out the way they expected. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So there's there's been this weird, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you'd call it. But uh, this weird dysfunctional relationship between uh, a lot of tech companies and remote work, which makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. But, uh, but look at what's happening now. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, cheering anything that's going on right now because this is a tragedy. You know, the way the coronavirus has affected the world is a huge tragedy. And I don't want to make light of it in any way. Um, But just as an impartial observer looking at trends, looking at what's happening right now, the way businesses are having to adapt, the way workers are having to adapt, uh, we're in an environment now where remote work is not an exception, it's the norm, at least in these industries where it's possible to be a remote worker. Obviously, there are lots of jobs where you can't do remote work. You have to be on site, you have to be interacting with things or people or or objects or machines or whatever. You know, you can't do your job remotely. I, I understand that. But uh, let, let's just limit this conversation to any job that can be done on a computer somewhere as remote work. Uh, you know, if it can be done as remote work, at this point, it's probably being done as remote work. So remote work is now becoming the norm. Uh, so many people working from home uh Unfortunately, you know, I've always shied away from using the term work from home because there' are so many other places you could work from. You could work from coffee shops, you could work from uh, co-working spaces. Uh, you could work on the road. you know, I've, I've done meaningful work for clients, work I was billing for while sitting on a picnic table in the middle of the woods somewhere because I want to get out and get some exercise and hike in the beautiful, nature surrounding Portland. And I've done work that way. You know, all you need is a cell phone connection. So, uh, so, you know, I've always shied away from the term work from home. But right now, remote work, by and large, is work from home because everyone is, you know, being told to self-isolate and, and stay home, if at all possible. So, uh, so right now, remote work and work from home is kind of synonymous. But at any rate, that is now the norm. And here's what I think will happen. Here's how I predict this will affect things in the future. Uh, once the crisis is over, once all the restrictions are lifted, I think a, a, certainly a significant percentage of people will want to go back to offices, will want to go back to that environment, will, will not like the experience of working from home. I think that's, that's totally reasonable to expect that. But I also think that a lot of people a, a very significant percentage of people that previously were not remote workers are going to realize that they want to be remote workers now like that that is a valid way of working, and they like that they like that flexibility they like the way it uh changes the dynamic of of how they focus on their work and I think um I think you're going to see a lot of of companies, particularly these larger corporations that have not been friendly to remote work policies, I think you're going to see a lot of demand from people saying, hey, we want to continue these remote work policies. We want to be able to work from home. You know, maybe not all the time. Maybe we still come into the office for big meetings or, you know, particular things that uh, need to be kept very secret. Um, you know, you certainly look at a company like Apple, and there's a lot of things that they uh, that they do that have to be kept very secret. And so, you know, you can't imagine somebody working on a marquee feature for a future version of the iPhone, uh, you know, tinkering tinkering away on the code at home somewhere, you know, without all these security measures in place. Like it's hard to imagine that sort of thing. But there's plenty of things that Apple does that you don't have to have a crazy level of secrecy around like, you know, something I want to talk about later is trackpad support in OS. I feel like, uh, you know, if that were a feature that work that everyone kind of just knew was being worked on, and it wasn't as secretive that this was a, an upcoming feature, I don't see any problem with that at all. In fact, like, I actually think it's dumb (laughs) when there's just incremental improvements like that that are really going to affect people's lives for the better. I think it's kind of dumb to keep those things under wraps. No, I don't think Apple should come out and say, hey, for the next several months, we're going to work on improving trackpad support and iPadOS. I'm not saying they need to announce that. But if it just kind of gets out that like, Hey, there's a group of a few engineers at Apple that are working on improving trackpad support in iPad OS, and probably in a few months or whenever there's another big release, uh, that will be that will be in there. That's fine. That's not going to surprise anybody. It's not going to tip off competitors. Like you'd you'd have to be a moron if you're at Microsoft working on the Surface line. You'd have to be a total moron to think to yourself, oh, uh, Apple is not working on improving their trackpad support in iPad OS. Oh my goodness, they just launched a new version of their software, and has improved trackpad support. We didn't see that coming. (laughs) That's just dumb. So, So anyway, I need to wrap up this rant here. But the point is that there is plenty of stuff that large companies, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, whoever... There, there's plenty of stuff that people can work on that doesn't need to be some crazy secretive thing that's, you know, all locked down within the company. Uh, there's plenty of stuff people can work on. And I think a lot of people are going to want to stay primarily remote workers after everything is said and done. And you're going to see this dramatically change, the, the, the structure, the nature, uh, the 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 way things get done within a lot of companies after this uh and i think uh you know there will be growing pains there will be a lot of adjustments to make but i think uh the, the end result of all this um will be a big win i think it'll be a big win for workers fewer people having to commute all the time out on the road uh polluting the environment unless they have a Tesla, but uh, I think it, it might change. Um, you know, it might change where people are located. Maybe some people realize like, hey, I can be remote worker, which means I don't have to live in the middle of San Francisco or Silicon Valley and pay top dollar for a tiny little apartment. Uh, I can move to you know, Boulder, Colorado, or I can move to, you know, somewhere in Arkansas, because I have family there and yeah, I like uh, the landscape there. So I'm going to live in Arkansas now, but I'm still going to be remote work. I mean... This could change a lot. This could change a lot in the next few years, decade, uh, when more and more people realize that they don't have to be centrally located in a few major tech hubs to do their job, and companies will realize that they don't have to hire everyone at these top dollar prices because they live in these very expensive places. Uh, and I, th- I think, uh, I think this is going to be a win. For everybody it'll be a win for companies because they'll have more flexibility in who gets to work for them and it'll be a win for the workers because they'll have more flexibility in how they work where they work and where they live uh, and that's on the human side on the tech side i think this will also be good for the web because i think you'll see a lot more focus from um, from software developers and just from you know creative people of all kinds uh, helping to make uh, collaboration, remote productivity type software on the web work better. So you know we, we're seeing so many people using something like Zoom right now for video conferencing, um, but but built-in native video conferencing in web browsers has been a thing for a while. And I think you know, anyone that was working on technology to uh, to enable video conferencing in web browsers to improve that. I think you're going to see all of those efforts accelerate now because there's so much demand for it all of a sudden, and I think that's going to be good for the web. I think uh, you know, multi-directional media, whether that's audio, whether that's video, whether that's uh, sharing files or uh, collaborating on um, documents or whiteboards or whatever, uh, you know, all of these kind of remote tools, I think, are, are going to go from. The realm of somewhat esoteric, somewhat niche, perhaps to everybody's using them. It's completely mainstream. I, I, you know, I I'll go so far as to predict that in a few years, you know, folks far outside of the realm of the tech sector will be using, uh, you know, on their tablets or computers or or possibly even their phones. Uh, folks will be using. Uh, these real-time, two-way, multi-directional collaboration tools on a regular basis. I think it's just going to be standard for everybody. Uh, and this, this current crisis is accelerating that. Um, the reasons for having to get better at these tools are terrible. But you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I think the, the upside here is that these tools will get a lot better and a lot more people will use them. All right, I can't believe I've been talking as long as I have on this first topic. I thought I would get through it pretty quickly and get on to the second one. Uh, but at any rate, here we are, the second topic, which is uh, new software coming out for iPad, uh, iPad OS 13.4. And the shocking thing about it, well, like I said earlier, it shouldn't really be that shocking because we kind of knew this was happening. So... Um, but, but what is shocking is, is not that there's new support, better support for, uh, for pointing devices for iPad. What's shocking is that it's so good. It is so good. Uh, this new 13.4 release lets you use, say, Apple's Magic Trackpad 2 with your iPad. Uh, it'll let you use a wide variety of, of mice and other similar input devices. Uh, and, uh, and what you get is a cursor but not quite the cursor you might know from Mac OS or, or Windows per se. Uh, this is this is a new cursor designed for a device that uh, is 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 always emphasizing this sort of hands-on tactile feel. You know, the iPad is still fundamentally a touch-based device, so even if you're using um, you know this sort of abstraction this this cursor instead of your finger to touch things uh, uh, what they've done is they've made it still feel like like you're really interacting with this device in a way that that feels uh, much much more seamless i guess you could say uh, uh, less of an abstraction than on a typical computer uh, so what do i mean by that well First of all, the cursor adapts to things on the screen. So when you move the cursor around by moving your finger on your trackpad or, or moving a mouse, uh, the cursor is not an arrow. It's just this little circle on the screen, this little transparent circle. And when the circle hovers over different elements on the screen, the, the cursor morphs into that element. So if you hover over a button or a link, uh, the cursor morphs into an outline or a shaded background behind that, that button or link. Uh, if, if it hovers over an app icon, like on the home screen, uh, it essentially becomes that icon on the home screen. Uh, so just in so many different ways. Like, you know, if you're in split view and you have that divider between two different apps on screen, when you move the cursor over that split view, the cursor becomes... The, the handle on the split view, and you can manipulate that. So in so many ways, the, the cursor uh, s- sort of becomes integrated into the interface itself in a way that we just have not seen before. And I think this is a huge breakthrough for human confu... Ugh, human confu... <laughs> Why can't I say that? Human-computer interactivity, uh, a, a huge breakthrough. Now. I've seen some people on the web look at this, look at demos and think to themselves, ah, this would be frustrating. This would annoy me so much. The first thing I'm going to do is turn that off. I'm going to turn that off when I get this because that's dumb. And I think that's completely misguided. I think if you upgrade your iPad to iPadOS 13.4 and start playing around with this cursor uh, on the, the new software, I think you should, for a good several days, maybe a week, I think you should leave it with that default setting and not switch it to sort of standard computer cursor mode. Uh, I really think you should give it a try because I gave it a try. I was a little skeptical myself. I saw the demos and I was like, well, that makes for a good demo, but is that going to feel really weird in practice? And instead, when I started using it, just, just just in a few minutes, I realized, oh my gosh, this is so much better. This is so much better than the macOS cursor. I can't believe how much of an improvement this is. Um, so I am happily using, uh, well, so I should say, h- how is this possible for the, the new 13.4 releases today? Uh, well, it's because I downloaded the public beta, <laughs> which is basically the the, the general release. They, they basically released 13.4 a little bit early uh, for folks on the public beta program and so I just you know I couldn't wait I immediately got the public beta release of 13.4 which is basically the final release and uh, so I've been using uh, using my uh, Magic Trackpad 2 with the iPad Pro for several days now Um, so so I love it I think this is fantastic and it's really changing the way I I use my iPad to a certain extent um, because uh, basically there, there were certain things that I wanted to be able to do on my iPad but felt clunky. Uh, graphics design, for instance. I know a lot of people like using Apple Pencil uh, as a design tool on their iPad, but that's more for illustration. And for me, uh, designing on an iPad, you know, I'm, I, it's more about manipulating objects like aligning things, moving things around, uh, selecting things, deselecting things. And so, you know, I was very excited about uh, the announcement for, uh, of Photoshop for iPad, uh, but when it came out, it was missing so many features. And I also found myself just getting a little bit frustrated trying to do a lot of intricate design work just with the iPad and the pencil. Uh, I, I really gave it a go to do graphics design that way. And in some ways it was fun, but in some ways it was frustrating. I found it frustrating to do uh, really intricate design changes uh, just with uh, the Pencil and iPad. Uh, But with this new cursor support, that all changes. Now, granted, Adobe has not really done anything to make Photoshop for iPad work particularly well with a cursor. But just just the default way it works right now, out of the box in iPadOS 13.4, uh, you know, despite occasional quirks and weirdnesses, for the most part, I have found this to be the best user experience using a design application on any computing device ever. I am not joking. This is an incredible user experience albeit with tons of missing features because Adobe has a ton of stuff they still need to add to Photoshop for iPad specifically. But that's not really about how you use an iPad. That's just on Adobe to get those features implemented. So yes, there are missing features. And yes, Adobe is not uh, optimized Photoshop for iPad yet for cursor-based input. But even with those caveats, just as a general concept, working with Photoshop for iPad with this new cursor support with Magic TrackPad 2, I have found this to be the best user experience using design software anywhere on any kind of device. It is absolutely glorious when it works. <laughs> when it when when all cylinders are firing here, it is glorious. And so you know obviously my hope here is that uh, Adobe will optimize Photoshop for iPad to work with this new cursor support, and will keep adding new features from um, desktop Photoshop. And you know the, the the interface, the 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 way they have constructed Photoshop for iPad uh, is is really kind of a whole new thing, and that's really why I like it. I have never been a huge fan of Photoshop on the desktop. Uh, I have used it because I have had to. I've used it because that's what you use if you do graphics design and you need a tool like Photoshop. Like that's just that's what you do. And you make you make do with all the all the you know aspects of the interface that are not ideal because Photoshop has been around forever. So so much of what you do and how you use it is all based on legacy decisions. But Photoshop for iPad is sort of a reimagining of Photoshop. It's a, it's a reimagining of, of what Photoshop could be and how it could work and how you would interact with it and how you would use various tools. Uh, and it's, it's not just a reimagining in general, but it's also a reimagining of how you do all those things specifically on an iPad. And so I feel like the combination of iPad Pro, iPad OS 13.4, Photoshop for iPad, uh, and, you know, the ability to to use touch, to use pencil, to use cursor support, and to seamlessly switch back and forth between all of these different input methods. I feel like this makes the possibility of the perfect design tool. It's not quite there yet. <laughs> it's not quite there yet by any means. There, there are a lot of missing pieces to this puzzle, but every piece they add to the puzzle, it becomes clear that like, oh, right, this is the ultimate design tool this is going to be incredible. All they need to do is fill in a few more of those pieces. That's all they need to do. They don't need to change their approach. They don't need to change their mindset. They don't need to rethink things. They don't need to, you know, to alter course or to course correct here. They just need to keep iterating and keep making it better and keep adding those features, you know, get more of these puzzle pieces in place, and then it's going to be absolutely mind-blowingly awesome. Anyway, that's my thought. <laughs> if you've checked out Photoshop for iPad, uh, if you've tried to do design work on an iPad and you think it sucks or think it's it's not the right direction, if you uh, run back screaming to your trusty Mac to get real work done, uh, please let me know. Send me your hate mail. I can take it. <laughs> No, don't please, please don't be too mad at me. But uh, but I, I do welcome your feedback. Uh, if you have some thoughts on this, uh, please hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Jared C White, or you can email me Jared at JaredWhite.com. Anyway, Apple announced some other things. They have actual new hardware out, new iPad Pro models, but not much has changed. the the big The big improvements really are just a little bit more RAM. It's now six gigs instead of four gigs standard on uh, on the whole lineup. Uh, new cameras with uh, LiDAR for uh, better AR and a bunch of stuff I don't really care about that much. So I'm quite happy still with my 2018. Yeah, 2018 iPad Pro 12.9 inch. I'm still quite happy with that. So uh, I think the you know, the big upgrade that will get everyone talking to the iPad Pro hardware will probably come either later this fall or next year. Uh, and then the other big thing they announced was uh, the the new magic keyboard attachment for iPad pro, uh, which will include a trackpad <laughs> so that's that's kind of the you know the direction this is all heading is that uh, you'll be able to uh, coming may it, we have to wait till may but but once May rolls around, uh, you'll be able to buy an iPad pro or use the one you have already because this attachment's backwards compatible with the 2018 models. Uh, you'll be able to to get an iPad Pro or use your iPad Pro uh, and get this Magic Keyboard attachment. And then your iPad Pro will just kind of transform into this futuristic-looking laptop-like device with keyboard and trackpad. And it's a real Magic Keyboard, and it's a real trackpad. It's not as big of a trackpad as on there regular Mac laptop models, but it nevertheless is a real trackpad with, with all the multi-touch gestures and, and you know two finger click for, for context menus and all that kind of stuff that you'd expect. Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this because right now my experience of using this new uh, trackpad support is you know sort of in a desktop configuration where I have my iPad actually up on a stand and possibly even in portrait orientation, not even landscape. And then I'm using, you know, a standalone Magic Keyboard and a standalone Magic Trackpad too, and kind of using my iPad as a desktop computer, which is interesting. Uh, but once this new accessory comes out in May, I'll be able to take my iPad Pro on the go and, and use it like a laptop in every conceivable way. And that is very fascinating to me. Uh, I'm I'm curious how how that will change the way I feel about what I'm what I'm using the iPad for and how I interact with it. Uh, as you may know, if you've been a longtime listener, uh, I actually used the iPad Pros my primary mobile computer essentially um, for quite a while. I wasn't actually using a Mac laptop. Um, but that that posed some real challenges because so much of what I do in my day job is programming. And it's very hard to program with an iPad. You have to jump through some hoops, which I did. I, I set up a remote development environment in the cloud and essentially use SSH to get into that environment on the iPad. And I use text editors that could uh, load and save files you know, through SSH remotely and all these different things. And I would even uh, remote desktop into my Mac on occasion if I need to do something specific that was, that had to be done on a Mac. Uh, But there were a lot of frustrations there. And so in the end, I broke down and end of last year, I bought the 16 inch MacBook Pro, which I love. This is a great machine. This is a wonderful machine. Uh, but it's, it's too much machine for me, honestly, uh, a lot of the time when I'm on the go, you know, lugging this big laptop around everywhere. It's, it's, it's big, it's heavy. And, and you know, it's, it, the, the environment of macOS is always a little bit more chaotic and, and involved. And there are times when I just I love the simplicity of the iPad environment. I love the, the lightweight fac, uh, form factor. Uh, you know, I can just kind of sling it under my arm and walk outside without even a backpack. That's how easy it is to, to use it and carry it around. Um, and so anytime I see additional ways to feel productive with the iPad as opposed to my big Mac laptop, uh, I'm happy. So I'm really excited about this new accessory. I can't wait till May to buy it and to try it out. Uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited, uh, that Apple is just continuing to push the iPad platform forward. (laughs) Say that fast a few times, push the iPad platform forward. Um, and I'll continue to report here on the show, uh, as, as these, as these things roll out. And, um, it, it kind of begs the question though, like what's new for iPad uh, this summer? like what you know iPad OS 14? what what's going to be the new thing? because I think a lot of people were expecting cursor support, uh, you know maybe a dedicated accessory with the trackpad and so forth. I think a lot of people were expecting that would be the story of iPad OS 14. But since we have all that early, what what is iPad OS 14? What are going to be the the new big marquee features? that will be very interesting. Stay tuned. All right, folks, that's it for today's episode. This went on longer than I expected. (laughs) I think it's because I don't really have any notes. I've just been riffing off the top of my head this whole time. And sometimes that's a recipe for disaster. But I hope you enjoyed this show. As always, you can go to jaredwhite.com to learn more about me and to become a supporter of this show. Uh, I have a Patreon campaign. I have an email newsletter. I have uh, previous episodes of the podcast, all kinds of good stuff, uh, videos about the Pacific Northwest and travel. Of course, that was before all the travel bans. Uh, but you can, you can catch up on all, all the previous uh, things I've published there. Again, all at jaredwhite.com. All right, thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. Bye.